Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not always what you say, but how you say it that matters the most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, President and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us and I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own various spheres of influence, be it your business, your relationships, and or your workplace. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are released and are available for consumption. Now, how you show up, quote unquote, is a critical factor to how effectively you communicate to and with others and whether or not your audience resonates with what you have to say. So preparation and confidence are important factors to how persuasive you can be. If you walk into a room or a space with an air of confidence, it can send a signal to your audience that you are somebody. Like Jesse Jackson, you say, I am somebody. You can walk in with the somebodiness. And you can have some level of agency or got it going on that resonates with the audience. And they can pick up on that energy and sense that, hey, this person is a person to be reckoned with. Now, don't get it twisted. Confidence and arrogance are distinguished. They aren't the same thing. Confidence is you having a courage and the understanding and the belief that you have the goods to get the job done, whatever that situation calls for. And that you're no better than anybody else, but nobody else is better than you either. Arrogance, on the other hand, is that you walk into a place and think that nobody else is better than you and that you're better than everybody. So there is a distinction. And so confidence is key to communication because that energy emanates from you when you come into a room or a space. Now, that in turn creates an opening for you. You walking into spaces with confidence for you to shoot your shot so to speak, in whatever particular communication exchange that you find yourself in in any particular moment in time. Now, my guest on today's show certainly has these characteristics and more in spades. He is a consummate professional (laughs) and a skilled communicator. Now, don't sleep on him. He's a LeBron James of communication. Currently, he serves as national director, local government relations at Walgreens, and is based out of the greater Chicago area. I had the pleasure of meeting and working with him some years ago on some government relation projects, and it was really, really a powerful experience. As I got a chance to know him professionally, I kind of picked up on the fact that, wait a minute, man, this cat is cool in the gang as a person. And over the years, we developed a friendship, and he's just a phenomenal guy, and I am delighted that he's here with us today. We had worked in some markets here in Wisconsin. He had come up, he'd travel up. And when I first met him, you know, the name Donovan Pepper, similar to Tim McMurtry, people hear Timothy McMurtry and my middle, Timothy Lawrence McMurtry. It's like, okay, who, okay, who's this fella? Then I show up and it's like, oh, it's, I'm still that man. I just might have a different hue than what you thought about. 
<laughs> and so a similar fashion with Donovan Pepper, I had kind of this image of this professorial kind of guy who had a wooden pipe that he put tobacco in, and he had the tweed jacket with the elbow patches coming through doing his thing. And when I met him, I'm like, wait, hi, Tim, you're Tim? I was like, yeah, Tim McMurray. Donovan Pepper, nice to meet you. Donovan, you Donovan, okay, you the Donovan Pepper cat? So it was really, really cool, man. So without any further ado, I want to introduce to some and present to others the one and only Donovan Pepper, a.k.a. DP. Are you with me? I am. I am, <laughs> I am with you. Word up, brother. Word up. Joining us here on the Communication Guru podcast. Hey, man, so how you doing, man? What's going on? Well, brother, man, Tim McMurtry, <laughs> Timothy McMurtry, let me first <laughs> off, let me tell you, thank you for having me on your show. Yes, sir. Uh, it is truly a pleasure. It's truly an honor that you would reach out to me and ask me to consider being on one of your inaugural podcasts. So I do appreciate it. And I've always appreciated our friendship. I've always appreciated it. And as you so eloquently put it, we certainly started off as a business relationship and then we've morphed over the years to friends. And I admire you so much. I respect the man you are, who you are, not just as a professional, but as a human being, because you clearly, in everything that you do and everything, everyone that you touch, you clearly show that you are a true, genuine brother in everything you do. So, Again, it's a pleasure to be here. I've always admired you and the things that you do and how you essentially put visions, things that you have, visions that you have and where you want to go, you put them in action. And I've always been impressed by you with doing that. So with that said, I'm doing great, brother. I'm here in Chicago. I'm doing like everybody else, you know, <laughs> surviving through, through this national <laughs> pandemic. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's been interesting to be in this space, particularly from a professional side. And as you mentioned, obviously, I work for a company. I work for Walgreens. Mm -hmm. And so, as you know, we're in the middle as a healthcare provider in the middle of this pandemic. And in addition to being a retailer, trying to make sure that people have what they need from an essential business standpoint. We're also obviously a healthcare provider and a pharmacy. So we have been on the front line doing a lot of the issues or trying to help communities stay healthy. When COVID testing became real, we were in the forefront trying to make sure communities had access to testing during this pandemic. And now that the vaccine is now available, we're part of that process trying to make sure that vaccines gets out. So with that said, it's been interesting to be working in this field and working for a retailer that's literally in the middle of this whole pandemic. And we can certainly talk about that later, but I've been blessed to be able to do what I do. As you know, certainly the pandemic has put a crimp in my style right. <laughs> from a traveling standpoint, uh -huh. because as you stated, I'm the national director of government relations. So I certainly did interact with a lot of municipalities, cities and counties and units of government across the country on behalf of Walgreens and partnered with a lot of organizations and entities that Walgreens interacted with, like the U.S. Conference of Mayors, the National League of Cities, the uh, Black Mayors Association or the Republican Mayors and those types of organizations that I kind of worked with. And again, I still work with them. But as you know, I was on a plane pretty regularly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where in the world is Donovan? 
exactly. This pandemic has truly put a crimp in my style when it comes to being that jet setter across the globe. Understandable, man. Understandable. Well, with the lofty title, man, the National Director of Local Government Relations, you know, for a multi-billion dollar Fortune 500 company, that's serious business. And I'm sure it didn't happen by osmosis. Tell us a little bit about what piqued your interest, you know, in government relations in the first place and how you had your journey to big ballerdom. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite big ballerdom. So thank you for asking. So again, I started my career in government relations almost 30 years ago, right out of college. I was a political science major. So obviously, I've always had an interest in politics and government. I had the opportunity to work in our state government here in Illinois, in our state legislature, working for the Speaker of the House here in Illinois, who actually, as of last week, just resigned. And actually, after serving a speaker for over 30 years, I'm sorry, yeah, over 30 years, We actually, Illinois, as you probably read about, elected its first black speaker. So pretty impressive. And brother who just got elected is a great guy. He's an awesome. He's going to do well. And so happy for him. And my parents live in his district. So we've known him for a number of years. But nice. Yeah. So he's, yeah, we're excited about that in Illinois. But with respect to that, I've worked in and around government for a number of years. I left state government to go become a lobbyist for railroad. So I did some Amtrak back in the day, some passenger rail, which used to bring me to Milwaukee pretty regularly. We (laughs) were trying to redevelop that station that's now beautifully redeveloped up there, which is nice. Uh, But spent a little time up in Wisconsin. Obviously, you're a former governor. You had a governor in Wisconsin, Tommy Thompson, who was real big in, in railroads. He was actually on the Amtrak board. So spent a little time there up in Wisconsin, but across the Midwest. And then left there, became the lobbyist for the Chicago Chamber of Commerce, Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce, which is like the MMAC there in Milwaukee, but it's our Chamber of Commerce. So I represented a business community for a number of years. I had the opportunity to work on some really exciting things that were happening in the city of Chicago with the expansion of O'Hare Airport at the time, dealing with obviously legislative issues that would impact the business community. So it was an exciting time, but I enjoyed it. Did that for a few years. And then went into telecom, represented a telecommunications company for a while, and then left that to go to the restaurant, Illinois Restaurant Association. So I was the head of uh, government affairs for a statewide trade association, representing restaurants, hospitalities, bars, but focused on the legislative and regulatory impact for restaurants. I was there for about four years, a great opportunity to, to get to know a lot of the insights around business, around particularly hospitality and restaurateurs and hoteliers. But then the opportunity to come to Walgreens to do more of a national and do more state government and local government relations was something that really attracted me to this opportunity. So 15 years ago was when I started with Walgreens, and I've been here ever since for 15 years. So Nice. I mean, given that broad spectrum of experiences that you had with the Chamber of Commerce, the restaurants, hospitality industry, telecoms, I'm sure you got a chance to interface with a number of the movers and shakers in that local metropolitan Chicago area. And that's no small feat, given it's a global city and it's a major metropolis with millions in population. And the business side of things correlatively also is, you know, pretty big time. How did your communication style, methodologies, strategies, how were they kind of formulated and developed 
during those times with you working with these different entities and how has that served you in your current capacity? Sure. No, that's a great question. That's a great question. And, and obviously, I've been around for quite a bit, so to speak. I've had the opportunities to work with other individuals and actually watch some of these folks who came before me or people I was working with alongside of them, got to see how they manage situations, how they leverage their abilities, or the way they looked at things to understand that we may not get the ball past the goal line every time, but we can get it within the 10-yard line every time and maybe kick a field goal. And having that knowledge and understanding that you may not be 100% successful, and like I said, getting across the goal line, but three points is better than no points. And so, well, of course, six points is even better than three points, but every now and then, <laughs> right. a win, you got to call a win a win. You're in so, scoring range. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I had the opportunity to learn from other people, watch that, and then as a part of that, be able to effectively communicate whatever the issue was that we were dealing with. If it was advocating for, like I said, the expansion of airports, of O'Hare Airport, back when I was at the chamber, it was making sure that everyone understood the critical infrastructure of a transportation hub like that and what it means, not just to Chicago, but across the Midwest and, in fact, across the globe to have that central hub. So being able to communicate that effectively to individuals who may not have been supportive if the unions didn't like certain things that we were looking to support. The airlines at the time weren't necessarily 100% sold on making additional investments, but being able to communicate why that was so important and then being able to get that ball across the football line was great. So taking the learnings from that, even my time in the transportation field and railroading, as well as telecommunications, I think learning from all of those issues and how you presented them. And again, Knowing that you may not always be successful right off the bat or initially, but understanding how to regroup, how to reposition, and maybe come at it differently. And again, as you know, in politics too, things change, legislators change, legislatures change, city councils change, folks in the mayor's office change. So again, being patient and understanding that maybe you have to be a little more patient in order to, to meet your final result. Now, that's excellent insight, Donovan. I know that when I worked as chief of staff for a former city council president here in Milwaukee, the thing was that patience, peace. And the other thing was having to not just having a plan A and B, but you might have to go all the way down to plan Q. <laughs> exactly. So the mentality is, hey, how can I get you to a yes? And that is what kind of goes into how you do this engagement with these elected officials and other persons of influence in their respective areas. And like you said, you know, change does happen. Turnover happens. A person that's in office today might not be there. And correlatively, another philosophy that might be more amenable to what you are advocating for could come in with this next individual that's taking that elected office there. So you kind of have to have thick skin, but you also have to be nimble enough to move around and not just accept a no as a permanent situation. A no could be a not right now. Exactly. So still kind of work on that. Well, let me ask you this. As you interface with these various elected officials and you're trying to push legislation or interests of Walgreens, you have the elected official 
and then you have the general citizenry, and sometimes maybe what you're advocating for, the elected official may be for, but the citizenry may not be for, or vice versa. The citizenry is advocating for something that you're trying to push, but the elected official is being kind of obstinate and saying, no, not on my watch, it's not going to happen. How do you kind of marry the two, and does any one weigh more than the other How do you navigate those waters when there's a razor-thin kind of margin between one perspective and the other? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, and we certainly see that a lot, whether it's in my industry, in my business, or others. Obviously, there could be two disparate thought patterns on what is good for the community or what's good for the neighborhood. I think, again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier was, number one, I'm sorry, as you said earlier, you have to be confident in what you're sharing and why, from your vantage point, you believe this is the best result, that it results in a win for the community in addition to being a win for the entity. And if you're confident in that position, then you continue to share that. However, First of all, you have to be willing to listen. And as you know, and you probably have said this on this podcast many times, in order to be a good communicator, you have to listen. Mm -hmm. You have to be a good listener in order to be a good communicator. And thus, you have to be able to listen if it's the community that is opposed to you or your position or the elected official that is opposed to you. You have to understand what they're saying and why they're saying it and why they believe that. And then once you truly understand that, then maybe there's an opportunity to compromise. Maybe there's an opportunity to maybe not get 100% of what you want or need. But as I said, maybe 60%, maybe 70% of what you need. And you don't get the full kit and caboodle, but you get some of it. You get some points. Yeah, you get some points. And so I guess it goes, yeah, it goes back to that theory. And again, it may be a position where it's all, it is all or nothing. And if it's all or nothing, to your point that we said earlier, now may not be the time. Now may not be the time for your business interests to succeed or for the community to benefit where you believe they would benefit from something. Now may not be the time. So you just have to be patient and wait. And if it's waiting for the community to change or waiting for the elected <laughs> official to change, <laughs> one of the two may change. Patience we'll is a virtue. <laughs> but with that said, it is also about just listening to what the opposition has to say about what it is you're presenting. Mm-hmm. Now, in your role, you had mentioned earlier that you travel normally jet-setting maybe out of the 365 days of the year, you might be on the road 200 of those days. And with the COVID-19 piece and the public health and safety protocols and mandates that have been instituted throughout the nation, a lot of stuff has kind of been restricted and we've been forced to go almost totally virtual with some limited in-person engagements. Now, in meetings, you know, back when I was working at a local PR firm, there was talk that, hey, your most effective way to get through to people is in person because you get a chance to read vibes and atmosphere and things like that. And human nature is that people tend to want to be supportive of what you're asking for. So it's a little bit tougher for a person to say no when you're face-to-face with them. Well, that's kind of, the script has been flipped on that with this virtual piece. How has the whole pandemic restrictions on travel, has that affected 
your ability to communicate and advocate for Walgreens initiatives because most of it is done virtually or over the phone now as opposed to the in-person things that you were able to do, be it taking folks out to dinner or an entertainment venue. You get a chance to do a little bit more small talk before you got down to business. Now it's kind of you got to go right into it because, hey, time is money and all this kind of stuff. You lose that personal interactive touch. How has that affected you and your ability to rock and roll in what you do? Sure. Excellent question, Tim. And, and thank you for mentioning it. And there's no question that this pandemic, being a global pandemic, has truly shifted how people do business, whether it's how they work. We certainly know it's shifted how we live our lives, but how we work, how we go to work, how we do the things that we normally do, even socially and recreationally. How do we do those things? They've all shifted. Now, as I was sharing just the other day, because we were on a call talking about the return to work, I was on a call talking about the return to work. What's the culture of corporate America and corporate Chicago folks coming, returning to the workplace? We have downtown Chicago, just like downtown New York and probably downtown Milwaukee. is probably a lot less sparse <laughs> these days than it normally is. It, yeah. In Chicago, it would take me sometimes 45 minutes to get downtown. Now it takes me 15 minutes because there's less traffic. And so we certainly know that fundamentally work has shifted how we work, but also to your point in our world, and I was just saying this to someone just the other day, because again, as government relations professionals and public relations professionals, you're right. Our world is more interactive, socially engaging. We have the ability for networking in person, whether it's a social dinner whether it's a luncheon, whether it's a fundraiser that we're attending on behalf of something. And having that non-office, non-city council contact where I'm not just testifying in front of you on a piece of legislation that has that ability to, to build that relationship. So with that said, yes, clearly that's changed. Now, I won't say that it's 100% negative because I believe that even as we talk about the return to work. Now, people say, oh, people working from home. And back before the pandemic, if you work from home, people thought you weren't working. Right. People assume slacker. if you're not in the office, you're a slacker, right? Uh-huh. And people assume if you weren't in the office, that means you weren't working. And what we found out now since the pandemic, you're actually putting in more work, working from home in many cases, even though you might have some additional family obligations and Because of the school systems not being open, some people have to make sure their kids are in class and some of the child care responsibilities you normally don't have, you have now. But what they're finding out that people are more productive because of this virtual, this digital economy and being able to meet with people in ways rather than, like you said, me, I would have to fly somewhere to set up a meeting and have a conversation and sit down and then come testify in front of somebody. How much time did that require? How much cost did that incur? Now I don't have that. Now I get on the Zoom, set up a Zoom call, set up a Teams call. You clicks away. (laughs) You clicks (laughs) away. So some might say it actually has improved the ability to connect with people more so. But I would agree with you to a degree in our world from a social interaction. And because of our world is a little different than the cut and dry type communication, it does restrict your ability to have that personal touch 
that personal relationship with someone. Now, again, the folks we know we've had relationships with, yeah, we're going to continue to have that. But what about developing those new relationships, the new legislators, the new council members, the new chiefs of staff or the mayors or whoever, those individuals that in normal days you would go to a conference, the National League of Cities, and you could sit next to the mayor of so-and-so or the chief of staff of mayor so-and-so and say, hey, we got an issue in your city. Can we set up some time to talk and I can fly in and meet with you? Now you don't have that ability, those new individuals. But if you have the past relationships, yeah, you can pick up the phone tomorrow and call those individuals because you have that relationship. Right, right. So with that said, I think it has changed. It has shifted. I won't say it's 100% negative, but I will say in our world, from a government relations perspective, from a public relations and even community relations a certain degree, you're right, not having that face-to-face interaction has changed and impacted a little bit, but I won't say it's uh, completely negative. Gotcha, gotcha. That's an excellent assessment, man. And I won't monopolize all your time. I got a couple yeah. more questions for no, you. I'll let good. you go ahead and get back to the rest of your day. I wanted to shift gears just a little bit. You had talked top of this conversation about some of the things that have been going on in the Chicagoland area, as well as what Walgreens has been doing, as you know, just elected Black Speaker of the House, first Black in, the, I guess, the state's, state legislature's history. And in that similar kind of vein, you know, the murder of George Floyd at the knee of a former Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, uh, sparked national and global outrage and calls for racial reckoning and really jump-started efforts for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And Walgreens had a couple of things that have kind of kicked off. You mentioned earlier, there's the vaccine piece. You guys are involved in this whole uh, movement for vaccine equity. And at the same time, you recently announced that Roz Brewer, the African-American lady who's a big baller as well, who I guess currently serves as the chief operating officer at Starbucks, is now coming in as the CEO of Walgreens. What can you say, based on your experience with Walgreens, you know, your decade plus working there, what kind of has Walgreens established as kind of some social equity, if you will, some social currency to be able to make these kind of moves on the equity piece and has already positioned them to really be a leader in this particular lane of of things right now, right in the thicket of what's going on right now? Yeah, no, and thank you for mentioning that. And and look, all companies, all companies, whether large or small, and certainly the global corporations, we've always talked about things around equity, around diversity. We've talked about inclusion. We really have, and some companies were better than, I will say some companies are better at putting things in play. It's just not all lip service. It's not all just talk or corporate speak. I believe that Walgreens has been around for over 117 years or so. So we've been around a long time. I truly believe in now, you know, about 10 years ago, we became more of a global company. Because prior to that, we just ran pharmacies in the U.S. And now when we acquired uh, Boots Alliance, we became Walgreens Boots Alliance. And now we have operations in 25 countries with other pharmacies in Europe and across the globe. And so we became this global entity. And I think also having that global piece really helped us understand the diversity of not just domestically, but also internationally and globally, what that means for our team members in Spain, in the UK, 
in Mexico and things of that nature to understand that this is a true global world and we are truly diverse. I think domestically, that has helped shape Walgreens to start to do more of this understanding that we need to be a more diverse workforce corporately. I mean, we've always had people work for Walgreens at our retail stores who come from the community. They live in the neighborhoods. They live in the communities where we operate stores. So that has never been an issue. But I think corporately, as most corporations, when you look at our top CEO, you look at our board of directors, we have been deficient in diversity. We have had Black board members on the Walgreens board of directors. We have had a Black president of pharmacy for Walgreens over the years. So we have done some things, but I think in recent years with our global, there hadn't been much attention to that. The George Floyd moment, and I hate to say it, call it a moment, but the realization and reckoning that what people of color have been dealing with, not just from a social economic standpoint in communities, but how they're treated in the justice system, how they're treated in corporate entities, it really woke a lot of people up. As we always say, it's terrible because you and I, we've known this for a long time. It was just because of these things and videos, people are actually able to see it. Now, we know even having a video doesn't mean that's going to get justice. I mean, we saw that in the Rodney King case. <laughs> Exhibit A. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit Big A. Big facts. Big you know, facts. Yes. And we can go down the list where video has shown and still justice hasn't prevailed. So I, I say all that to say, from a corporate standpoint, Walgreens, and I'm so impressed with my company, because even prior to us announcing that our new CEO will be a woman of color, our Walgreens Boots Alliance board, the company that we acquired, we didn't have any people of color on our board up until last October, where we actually brought Valerie Jarrett, who is the president of the Obama Foundation, who used to work uh, in the White House. Special advisor to the president. Special advisor to President Obama. She joined our board. And I have to tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if her, she was part of the reason why we have a new Black female CEO coming on board in a few weeks. And part of that, too, has been driven because we are global chief diversity officer. We had a chief uh, HR officer. They have really been pushing on this diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that's why, again, we see that the two moves, particularly those two moves, having a Black board member in someone like a Valerie Jarrett, as well as someone like a Roz Brewer, are certainly things that we're trying to show. We're serious about this. It's just not lip service. We're serious about it. No, that's awesome, man. And you bring up a great point. I got just a couple more questions for you. But before mm -hmm. I go to my last two questions, that point you brought up about Valerie Jarrett being there, and she played a role, I think, in Chicago politics even before going on to play her prominent roles in the Obama administration both terms. But proximity is important. It's important to be in the room to find out what the conversations are and to amplify influence. And to your point, under the presumption that she had at least something to do with the moves that Walgreens is making now, if we were to cascade that across the country with all kinds of different organizations, being there matters because the communication, the perspective, when you're not in the room, doesn't get a chance to see the light of day. 
And so the persuasive, exactly. you know what I mean? So the persuasiveness yeah. never gets a chance to happen. <laughs> if you're not in the room. If you're not in the room. You know what I'm saying? So part of communication is not just what comes out or what is being communicated, but proximity also makes a difference. There was something that, you know, a person was talking about when you plant seeds into a garden. The size of the garden, as well as the soil, has an impact on what can be grown. If I have a plot of land that's only as wide as my hands are right here, a couple inches apart, hey, the growth is only going to be that big because it's restraints and barriers there. However, if I were to have a plot of land that was as large as this studio, I have more room to grow. And that's what proximity does as well. It gives communication room to grow in its impact. Well, just real quick, and of course you you said it, but it makes me think of the musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Being in the room where it happens, that is what's critical. Being in the room where it happens. And to your point, proximity matters just as well as effective communication. But being in that decision-making room, having that ability to talk to key or senior leaders is really what makes things happen. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. Last two mm-hmm. questions for you, man. I'm going to let you bounce. Mm-hmm. What is the greatest lesson over your illustrious storied career? What's the... <laughs> no, <laughs> no cap, Doc. No cap. Your career has been illustrious and glorious, brother. For real, for real. What's the greatest lesson that you've learned thus far relative to effective communication? There was one thing that was like, man, this right here is probably the biggest thing I've learned about communication effective communication or lack thereof? I think when you started off the conversation, Tim, and you said you were talking about confidence versus arrogance, mm-hmm. because I think that's a critical component. That's a key piece. And you define the difference. And I would say that there are many people, and including myself at times, I have, in fact, not heeded that advice. And even though I believe I'm confident, I know my issues, I know my facts, I know what I'm doing. And sometimes I step over that line to that arrogance. And so I would say that the greatest lesson I've had in my lifetime and in my roles is understanding that you have to be humble. You have to be humble. First of all, you got to be humble because you're God's creation. And so You have to be humble in his eyes. But for starters, understanding that, yes, you can be as very confident. You can exude confidence. You can exude knowledge and all of those things. But don't step over that line to arrogance. Because the arrogance, again, it's what blinds you, the hubris, that hubris, that blinds your ability to see clearly. Look, I've been guilty of it because I've crossed that line. And I may not even be aware of it until either something smacks me back down. Or... <laughs> <laughs> little reminder. You know, little Pump reminder. your brakes, player. Pump your brakes. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and hell, it may have been even at home right. when my wife is slapping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be in the workplace. On behalf of husbands all over the world, (laughs) wives are experts in bringing your behind back down to earth. Down, down to earth. (laughs) So I would say my biggest understanding is be humble. Don't be hubris. Don't be arrogant. Understand that. And I think in this whole conversation we've talked about is you have to understand the compromise. You have to understand the art of compromise. Even if, again, 
you can be believe 100% in your position. You can have truly the knowledge that what you're planning to accomplish or trying to accomplish is good for everybody. It's a win for me, a win for you. But others may not see it 100% like you do. So understand where is that common ground that we can agree to disagree or we can agree to come to something. So I would just say, honestly, not crossing that line between confidence and arrogance, which is what you started off about effective communication. Excellent, man. That sounds like an excellent bookend to how our start. And we'll go ahead and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, close, close here. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. That was excellent insight, man. Thanks so much, Donovan, for joining us today on today's show and sharing your insights with us today. And to you listeners, thanks so much for listening. Uh, remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru podcast. Also be on the lookout for the Morning Temperation vlog where you can find inspirational words of encouragement and insights on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And finally, if you have a communication issue that you may need some assistance with, be it personal, business, organizational, or relational, feel free to drop me a line at tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com for a free 15, 30-minute consultation or discovery session so we can get kind of to the bottom of what you're dealing with and to see if we can get some remedy for you. In that outreach to Tim at TimMcMurtryInternational.com, feel free to also put a brief description of what the challenge may be. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hopefully you heard something today that can, you can put in your toolbox to help you become a more magnificent communicator. And Donovan DP, are you with me, Pepper? Thanks so much, man, for taking some time for hanging out with your brother. I really appreciate it, man. And love you, bruh. Thanks so much again. Look forward to talking with you in the near future. Right back at you, Tim. Thank you very much, man, for having me.